I asked our guest, KT Connor, how she shares Robert S. Hartman's work with her students and how she makes it relevant to today's world. This is what she shared. We're no longer fondue. Everybody doesn't think alike. Everybody in your pod isn't there because they're like you. We're more salads, which means some of us are tomatoes, some of us are cucumbers, some of us are onions, some of us are lettuce, and yet we're one. And there is something that holds us together. And that dressing is whatever the spirit is that we share in common. And I think Hartman helps us see what that spirit is in the value of people over things, over ideas of things. This is a wonderful episode with a very interesting person who's had a life of service and meaning. And I think you're going to thoroughly enjoy it as much as I did in having the conversation. And I can't wait to share it with you. Michael, hit it. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hi there, my name is Susie Price, and I am with Priceless Professional Development, and you're listening to the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast. This is where we cover everything related to helping you and the employees of the organizations you work in build a high-commitment, low-drama, wake-up-eager workforce. And having high commitment means you're going to have greater productivity, you're going to have people who are engaged in the work, who want to be there who enjoy being there, you're having less drama. It means we figured out how to communicate. We figured out how to work together. You got the right people in the right seats. Heaven knows we've got lots of drama in the world and it's such an opportunity for it to come into the workplace. So building great leaders who can have conversations, making sure people are in the right seats, all of that is crucial all the time and particularly right now. So we love that we're a part of that in our life and that that is our purpose here at Priceless Professional Development is to help you build a wake up eager workforce. And that is what this podcast is about as well. And so we've worked with thousands of leaders across many industries, insurance, technology, hospitality, higher education, construction, utilities, healthcare, consulting, recruiting, consumer goods. We all have the same agenda, which is when I'm working with people is they care about people, they care about business, and they want to do the right things. And that's what we help do. We use a, an assessment called Trimetrics as a framework of a lot of what we do because it creates its ability to work with the employee throughout the life cycle. So it helps you get the right person in the right seat, helps you have great conversations and onboarding, um, helps you with team building, leadership development, succession planning. And this series that I'm doing right now is about one of the sciences in trimetrics and one of the sciences is science of axiology. It's acumen. It's measuring how people think and make decisions. And I'm talking with axiology influencers. So that is KT today. You don't need to know anything about trimetrics or axiology to get a lot out of today's conversation. 
and I mentioned that we use that science. We also end up, because we use it in organizations so much, uh, we help internal and external consultants get certified in the sciences. There's three sciences. There's certified professional disc analysts, certified professional motivators analysts, and trimetrics expert analysts. And you can find out more about those programs at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash certification. And I have a short little clip. It's less than, I think it's 40 seconds, from the chief people officer of Sierra Constellation Partners. They're located in, in L.A. And their chief people officer, Rebecca Waits, has completed the Certified Professional Disc Analyst, Certified Professional Motivators Analyst, and is working on the Trimetrics Expert Analyst certifications. And she's using the sciences in their business. And so Rebecca has a few comments to share about the process. Hi, my name is Rebecca Waits, Chief People Officer at Sierra Constellation Partners. I'm so glad that I completed my certifications at Priceless Professional Development because the certification process was self-paced. And the coaching support with Susie was amazing. She was always there for me, coaching me along. I now feel like I'm even more comfortable and effective in coaching others within my organization. I can't recommend Priceless Professional enough. So if you'd like to learn more about the different programs, there are six-week certification programs. It's self-pacing, so you can do it in quicker than six weeks or longer than six weeks, but we make it all available to you and provide coaching as needed. Check it all out at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash certification, and then reach out to me anytime if you want to talk through or learn more about that. If you'd like to see our directory of episodes at the Wake Up Eagle Workforce podcast, go to wakeupeagleworkforce.com. If you go there, you could also leave us a review or subscribe to our podcast. You can subscribe on anywhere you get podcasts. Plus, we have our own app, so you can check there. If you're listening to this and you enjoy the podcast, you could do a couple of things that would help us. One, leave us a review. You could actually take a screenshot of the episode if you're listening on your mobile device and then share it on Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn. I'm mostly at LinkedIn these days, but it doesn't matter. I'll find you if you tag me at Wake Up Eager or at Susie Price. I'll find it and I will retweet and share or repost and share and comment and we can lift each other up. So any of that sharing and any of that feedback, we have a speak pipe, which is a purple microphone at our directory page. We can always leave us feedback there too. So love to hear from you. Reach out anytime. Today's episode is episode 73. As I mentioned, it's Axiology Influencers, Why Robert S. Hartman's Work Matters Today. And this is the discussion with KT Connor. She has her PhD. I'll tell you a little bit more about her bio, but here's what we're going to cover today. You're going to learn how and why a former nun who turned into an organizational consultant, how she found and embraced Hartman's work and the science of axiology. It's an interesting story, and especially uh, her story as a nun and her life that she's lived. You're going to hear real-world and work applications around axiology and as it applies to employee development and promotion. So she shares some very good examples of how the science has been applied to make real-world decisions. And I think you'll be thoroughly inspired and enjoy the story of KT's joyous and ever-evolving life. And I think you will hear what I hear when I speak with her, which is a lot of happiness and ease and kindness and intellect 
all tied together. Uh, she has a great way about her. And a lot of, well, I say youthfulness. She did share with me before we started that I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this. I don't think she does because she makes jokes about it all the time about, you know, you know, I'm not 30 anymore, but she is, will be 80 years old on Thanksgiving day in the year 2020. And she's just a, uh, so fun and interesting to be around. And if you want to find the show notes for today where we have detail, we'll have a transcript, we'll have time marked information where you can find spots that you're interested in. But pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Hartman KT. H-A-R-T-M-A-N-K-T. That's all lowercase and all one word. Hartman KT. Pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Hartman KT. That's just the letter K and the letter T. We also, if you want to know more about Hartman, I'm going to give you a quick couple of sentences about him so you'll have some context as we go into the discussion today. I also did an episode of Demystifying and Understanding Trimetrics where I go into more detail about Hartman. You can find it at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash trimetrics. You can also go to the Hartman Institute. So hartmaninstitute.org has the life and legacy of Hartman. So you can see his entire history and then you can also see the timeline of the Hartman Institute. So we're in our 44th conference. So I don't know if that's actually the note that year, but let me just quickly, formal axiology, if you're curious of what that is, it's a logic-based science. Dr. Hartman discovered it. Dr. Hartman studied with Abraham Maslow and many other great thinkers, Viktor Frankl and others. You'll see that in his life and legacy at hartmaninstitute.org. But basically the science of axiology is a study of how we think. It measures the quality of our judgment and decision making, and it reveals strengths and development opportunities. And you'll hear that in the conversation I have with KT today. What's interesting about Robert Hartman is he was originally Robert Schirkauer, and in 1932, he fled Germany with a fake passport because he rejected communism and spoke out about it. He believed that every life is sacred and came to the U.S., changed his name to Robert S. Hartman, wrote many books and worked with companies in the 1970s, 60s, and 70s, like Siemens, Volkswagen, Alcoa, and they were all using his profile, which is called the Hartman Value Profile, which is versions of what we use today. And what I love so much about his work is it is a roadmap for us to become self-actualized, to use our full potential, and that was what he was passionate about. How do we fulfill good? How do we enrich our lives? We need a roadmap. And I became certified in this science and in trimetrics in 2005, and I joined the Hartman board, the HartmanInstitute.org board in 2019. So that's how all this ties together. So let me tell you a little bit about KT. She is the current president of the Robert S. Hartman Institute. And it is a professional association devoted to the work of value science and the science of axiology. And she has been a member since 2004. And that's, I think that was approximately about the time that she talks about in our discussion when she found the Hartman Value Profile and started using it uh, everywhere in, in all of her work. And she's been the president of the Institute since 2011. She is an organizational development specialist, and she has her PhD from the University of Southern California and has taught at both USC in the management school at Cal State 
and she has her MA master's degree from Case Western. So she teaches courses. She talks about ethics and public administration. But she's also taught courses in group dynamics, leadership, organization behavior. She's taught innovation at Pepperdine. She's done a lot of interesting things. She's addressed groups all over the world, South Africa, Singapore, Shanghai, Philippines, Europe, about organizational development, culture, conflict. She is very active in Rotary and is a former president of Creative Education Foundation, former regional vice president of Association for Talent Development, former vice president of product and development management, current member of the Society of Industrial and Organizational Psychology, and has a long list of clients, IBM, Merrill Lynch, Ford Motor Company, Sea Island Company, and many others. So let's go to the discussion now. I know you're going to enjoy it. Hi, KT. Welcome. Glad you're here. Oh, I'm glad I am, too. It's nice to talk to you. Oh, I'm so glad you're taking the time. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how you became aware of Hartman's work and why you're committed to sharing it with others. Well, you know, the uh, first exposure to him had to do with the practical side of it. I had done a lot of organizational development work by the 90s when I began to get exposed to him. And what happened was I was using a lot of assessments in the organization that I was internal in at that time, a major food company. And one day the sales vice president went to my boss, the HR vice president, and said, you've got to get KT to clear her calendar and find us an assessment that's going to work. Whatever she's doing isn't helping me figure out what's wrong with our sales guys. So I had to sit in the salespeople's offices while they were on the road, and I would read their journals and their magazines and try to figure out, okay, what, what is wrong? And I came up with an article in Personal Selling Magazine that talked about Wayne Carpenter's work. Now, Wayne Carpenter was a student of Hartman for his master's in philosophy. And Wayne eventually started developing Hartman's work for the profile. So I called this number that Wayne had, and he was there still working on the computer, and he sent me a paper version of the profile. And I looked at it. I realized somebody else had shown me that about five years before, and I had tried I, I said, this is crazy. If I can't figure it out, it can't be any good. (laughs) 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 But I tried it and I thought, holy cow, this thing really works. And so that's where I first began exposed to it. And Wayne trained me in it. And so my early focus was mostly on the practical side of it, how I could use it for team building, how I could use it We even used it for succession planning. We used it when we were promoting. If somebody was more strategic, but we needed somebody more pragmatic, then we would kind of take that into account, determined by what they were doing with the profile or on their results. That's how I got started with it. But what happened just working with Wayne and talking to him 
and just dealing with discussions with him about what I was finding when I was using the profile, I began to get more and more interested in who was it that came up with this <laughs> and how come it works. And so Wayne told me so many interesting stories because he also took a tutorial with Hartman. Actually, when he was getting his doctorate, he was studying for his doctorate at Vanderbilt rather than University of Tennessee because it was closer to his family in Alabama. And his dad died. So he had to go home and help his mom and therefore got drafted for Vietnam. But while he was in Fort Benning, he was asked to work with the decision simulator for the helicopters because so much information was coming in on those Vietnam helicopters that they were crashing. So he headed up that study with an organization called Humro and began to realize, as he did research on decision theory from Aristotle on, that what he learned from Hartman was exactly what was going on. Wow. And that's, that's when he decided that he would, when he got out of the Army, he was going to join Hartman and work with him. Unfortunately, Hartman died the year before he got out. Yeah. So Wayne eventually went back to that and gradually spent over 30 years. He took all the equations that he could see in the Manual of Interpretation, in the notes that Hartman's widow had given him, in Hartman's articles, anything he could get his hands on. He pasted the room with flip chart paper. And then anything that he saw missing, because Hartman didn't quite finish everything. Right. He, he tried to figure it out and put it in. And that's how he came up with his system. So I began to appreciate that more and more and more. And I started going to these conferences every year. Now, they were, they were interesting. Thank God I had had an academic background because I could sit and listen while these people read their papers. <laughs> so are you saying they were a little dry? <laughs> yeah. But they were interesting. Yes. They, they were interesting. And, and it was an interesting group. There were a lot of professors yes. in the group. There were a couple of practitioners, not many. But gradually that grew and grew and grew. But that's how I got involved with that. And that's when then I would start reading some of the articles that Hartman had written and some of the articles about him. So that's where I stumbled on it. And I'm so nice. glad I did. Yes. Yes, it seems as though you were guided to it. So you had been exposed to it and then, you know, kind of said, okay, that can't be. And then there it is again when you're looking for answers. When you were exposed to it initially, to the Hartman Value Profile initially, and you said, I can't remember the words you used, but you basically said, this doesn't make sense and I can't figure it out. So it can't be right or it can't be, you didn't use those words yeah. initially when you initially yeah. saw it. Talk a little bit about that, because I think we see that all of us have different versions of the Hartman Value Profile, but we do often have people say, well, you know, how does that work? Is that voodoo? Or yeah, that was yeah. your first like, OK, this seems weird or tell, well, talk a little bit about that. I didn't even think it was as good as voodoo. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I had a lot of background in assessment, and my right. dissert, my dissertation was assessment research. Oh my gosh, I didn't self. know that. Yeah, it, yeah, on the self, and so I was so used to self report, and I thought uh. this. I mean, what, what, what could they ever figure out from this? Because, of course, <laughs> I didn't understand it tracks your decision-making process, not yes. your thoughts about yourself. And that's what I think is so powerful yes. with it. Yes. And unfortunately, a lot of psychologists and psychometricians don't. Unless it's inductive yep. information, they're not going to deal with it. And that was probably where I was coming from at that point. But because my sales vice president was so yeah. strong about the fact that I, I might lose my job if I didn't figure this out. <laughs> You're like, okay, I better figure it out. I better strong figure it out. Yeah. Okay, I'll go this. ahead and I'll take this. <laughs> I know it's not going to show anything and then I'll just keep looking for another one. Yeah. Yep. And then it turns out it did. Yes. Oh my God. So when you when took I it and it. you saw it the second time, did you get it that, okay, this has no face validity, but this is measuring how we think or how did that? No, the second, I never took it the first time. Oh, okay. You just saw I it. I didn't think it was worth taking. Oh, okay. I knew gotcha. too much about assessments. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't realize what my bias was at the time. Was it was not yes. self-report. How's it going to tell anything about the person? Because it doesn't ask them what they're like. Yes. So when I yes. saw the results the first time I took it, I was just blown away by it. I thought, my mm. gosh, this, this is amazing. Those crazy things that I referred to. <laughs> and so that's what got me really interested in it. And we, we used it for everything. We used it for hiring. We used it for development. If somebody then got hired, we immediately did a deeper report on them so that we could make sure we could keep them using their strengths and not letting their strengths get in the way. I used it for team building. It was great for team building because it really helped people appreciate each other. And we would use it for succession planning. And uh, in fact, there was an interesting thing that happened there. We had a young man at the plant. I was working in our headquarters. We're on this island off the coast of Georgia. Uh, the major major headquarters were up in New York State, but we were subsidiary. And the plant had a young man who was a group leader and was doing very, very well with things. And people loved him. And he was an Afro-American. And we wanted to get more of them in positions of authority. And so... They wanted to bring him over and have him work in the research and development area on the island. The trouble was he was so empathetic mm. and so intuitive that, you know, I said to them, just be careful because he's going to be very concerned about how people feel. He, he, he reads people very, very well. Well, sure enough, when they hired him, they had an infection in the food, in the uh, research he was doing, 
and he was afraid to announce it because he felt people would be upset. And all of a sudden, the FDA came down on them. So he had to get fired. Oh. But it was a good example of yes. what happens if you don't take certain things into account. And they, they said, well, we have, we have other priorities here. We're not concerned about it right now as to how he is. I'm sure he'll be fine because everybody likes him. Well, that, that was the reason why everybody liked him. Because yep. he was so wonderful that way. And he was a wonderful supervisor and group leader. And so from the Hartman assessment for uh, our listeners, that is, he scored very strong, or probably it was the priority, the intrinsic dimensions were very strong for him. Yeah. And see, with Wayne's system, it goes so deep that it will tell how that intuitive system, the intrinsic, how it, it works with all the other scores. And his yes. was very, very, very strong. Yes. So, so that, yeah. that was why. That's a great story of talking about fit, job fit. You can have a great person that everybody loves, but what does the job that they're putting them in require? Yeah. Um, and that's why we used it. And, and we, we learned as we went through this. And that's why we used it for succession planning and that kind of thing. We had, for instance, another one over at that plant that <laughs> he was a hippie back in the old days and he and his wife were traveling down to Florida. They were gonna stay on a beach somewhere and they stopped at our island and they decided to stay there. So he got a job in the plant and kept working up, working up, working up, working up, group leader, supervisor, production manager, general manager, and then they wanted to make him the operations vice president. And it was really interesting because he was not strategic. Hmm. But because we yep. knew that, he was yep. so practical and so good in so many ways, and people liked him too. Yeah, uh, We knew that what we had to do, so we sent him to the Center for Creative Leadership for a two-week strategic planning session. We gave him strategy projects, and he, he was able to kind of build on the basis of that strength and did very well as a hey, result. Now, yes. when he left, he immediately became more practical. <laughs> yes. But he, yes. Knew, he knew how to step out of his automatic pilot and deal. And he would also compensate. Yeah. And he had another, he had a colleague, our a financial person, who was extremely intrinsic as opposed to systemic, but he was the financial vice president. And he, huh. ju he just hired a consultant to work with him to do all the strategy stuff. So using the profile helps people see what their strengths are in automatic pilot and then what they can do outside of that you know how whether they they want to then take another focus for themselves or whether they want to have have somebody else fill in with what is not their strength at the time yes. so that that was really helpful and i think if we had not found wayne's system we wouldn't have we wouldn't have been able to do that right 
that's what I say so much about all of Hartman's work too. It's, you know, I call it horsepower in my car analogy. And it's just that, that you can, if you know where you need to tweak, just like this gentleman, we knew we needed to tweak in strategic planning. So if you know specifically where to tweak, you can, and the person's willing, they can grow or make their engine stronger. Or in the case of the financial guy, have somebody else plug in. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's so specific. That's so awesome. Now, a lot of people use other tools. We use disk and motivators with Hartman's work. And then sometimes people who use things like the disk assessment, which is very popular, and I don't dislike it or I wouldn't use it at all, you know, but I, I do like it, but I always get a little frustrated that it gets overemphasized because it's so easy to understand. And I call it the weaponizing of disk. <laughs> Because people try to apply the things you can learn from Hartman's type work, how somebody really thinks and and makes decisions to what someone's style is, and people mix that up sometimes. What are your thoughts on that? Well, DISC is one of the ones I was using, and so is Myers-Briggs. And and I was even using, I'm certified that I can use the MMPI even, although I try not to. What's that, the MM what? That's more of a psychological, yeah. Okay, okay. And for the Myers Briggs, is that a clinical Myers Briggs no, thing no, or something? No, oh, something else? no, no, it's another it's one. Something else. No, okay. no, Myers Briggs is not really. Disc and Myers Briggs are from the APA are not to be used for real hiring and that kind of thing. I but know the, it's not valid, but people over apply it all the time. Yeah, it makes me crazy. Yes. So when I found this, I don't know whether it's. I'm lazy or what, but I thought, well, I don't really need the others now. Yeah. Because this told us everything we needed to know. Yeah. And we we could see differences as because I had so many departments that wanted to keep using it. And I had to tell some of them, hey, wait, let's wait at least six months or a year before you profile everybody again. Yes. if they're going to change, give them some time yes. to change. Talk a little bit for people who might not be familiar with the Hartman Value Profile, you know, the, uh, your version or the version that I use. What was it that got the leaders and throughout the plant or the organization wanting to do it again, do it again, do it again? Um, was it exactly what we were talking about, about how it would pinpoint? What else would you say? Yeah, I, th- I think it was that. An interesting one that I I got from the IT department. We had a wonderful director there. And she was so pleased that people got in touch with themselves and liked it. You know, sometimes when people take assessments, they get a little bit depressed because what they see are all the things that are wrong. And what this shows is what your strengths are and how your strengths might get in the way. If that is, if you see this as valuing the uniqueness of each person, every once in a while, I do run into somebody that says, oh, I know what people should be. And this person isn't that. And they're not talking about what particular functions they might be performing or that kind of thing. They they just have their idea that every person has to come out somewhat the same way. And that's not true here. And that's the beauty of Hartman. He valued the uniqueness of people. And yes, if there is something that you're expected 
to be able to achieve or something and and you don't have the strength for it okay well that's a different thing then then we'll help you we'll either help you get out of your automatic pilot for that one or get someone to help you there but this director just loved the fact that people felt affirmed Mm. no matter what they saw it helped them get more and more in touch with themselves because that's a big thing a lot of people are not in touch with themselves yeah yeah yep and you know knowing you because you are very good at uh, as i've observed you working you know in our volunteer stuff at the hartman institute is you're very good at being affirming in a very respectful, it's really good. So I'm assuming you came along with that package <laughs> when they were saying, you know, that people felt affirmed. It's like, yes, yeah, so that had something to do with KT too. <laughs> what do you think? Oh, well, thank you. No, I, I think so. I think so. I, I do. And you're well, so fun, and you you see the best in people is part of it. So no wonder you wouldn't be a, you would be attracted to a tool that is about that and a founder who value the uniqueness of others yeah and that 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 i think is so important rather than trying to decide ahead of time what people have to be and then tell them why they aren't (laughs) yeah yeah that's a manipulation not acceleration or belief yeah in a lot of ways. So question for you, and I know people are thinking this, and I kind of think I might know where this goes, but, you know, we were talking earlier about Wayne and Wayne Carpenter being at Vietnam, and he's working with the helicopters and taking the data, and he saw Hartman's work in decision theory. People might have a hard time figuring out, and I know I do see this in other people sometimes where they try to figure out what does that have to do with, okay, you just assess some people in an organization and they all feel affirmed and they know what their strengths are. I believe you're going to say it has to do with the the dimensions and how the dimensions measure how we think. But talk a little bit about that. How, How does that tie together? Well, part of that whole process of perceiving something and then conceptualizing and then judging you know, making a decision, that whole part of your thinking process is what's picked up. Yes. And what they've been able to do is they've been able to figure out this particular dimension is intrinsic or this is extrinsic or this is systemic, but then how close is it and how is it impacted by the other two dimensions and that kind of thing, that's what goes on. And that's why I think it's when you really begin to get specific, it really is getting down to a lot of algorithms and equations as far as reflecting how you're making those decisions based on your conception and perception. Right. So... That's what it's all about. And that's why I don't worry about that. I'm not good with numbers anyway. You know, yes, I'm over 30. (laughs) (laughs) But the impact, I'm more practical in that sense. I was impressed by the impact. Yes, yes. And that's that's why. And I spent a lot of time. Wayne, Wayne is one of these geniuses. And he for instance, loved birds. 
So when I was being trained by him, he had been given injured birds by the County Wildlife Society, whatever they called it there in Nashville. And (laughs) I had a bird, a blue jay named Beezy, sitting on my shoulder and on my head while I was learning. (laughs) (laughs) Unusual learning experience. But how about that? But Wayne is very, very bright. And yes. So I just leave all of what he's done alone. <laughs> yes. I value yes, I value what it does for me when I'm trying to help somebody. Yes. And it's interesting when you when you learn intrinsic, extrinsic, systemic, and you start to you start to see it everywhere in everything. And so it is, is, it is interesting how it kind of takes hold. Like I, like you do not know anything about the algorithms or the equations. I do understand, you know, how they score it somewhat, you know, when you're scoring to get the uh, assessment, but uh, oh, at yeah, the end of the I, day, it's interesting. I don't understand the deepness of it in the algorithms, but with Hartman's work, it sounds like you've used it in, you were working in a corporation, and then I think you went out and started your own business, or maybe you were in your own business the whole time. Talk a little bit about that, the center of axiometrics and, you know, and the different ways you've used Hartman's work. I know you're teaching and just talk about how you use it in all different aspects of your life and work. What I was doing, I had been a professor and then got my doctorate. And while I was getting my doctorate in communication at USC at the Annenberg, what's now the Annenberg School, I got involved with the management program there too. And I took that as kind of a minor program. And I was a nun at the time. And our order had the college in Buffalo where I had taught before. And I had the option by that time, if I wanted to come back, my position was going to be there. And if I didn't, the order would help me work wherever I wanted to go. So I decided they were looking for somebody to start the management program at the college. So I decided to go back and do that. And so being there, all of a sudden, I started an organization that was kind of a consulting office out of our college. So there I am, still a nun, Flying yeah, I was all over say, the were country. You still <laughs> yeah. Did you like wear a habit? I mean, did you have to wear a habit? No. By that time, uh, in fact, by the okay, uh, a month before I went to USC for my doctorate, we had decided that you could wear a habit if you still wanted to. You could revise the habit so it was a little bit more simple, or you could wear whatever you thought was appropriate. Because we couldn't make an agreement of whether or not to just get everybody out of the habit or not. Yeah, yeah. a lot of strong opinions on that, I'm sure. (laughs) In fact, I was on that that committee that had to make that decision. And we we were the whole range. We had somebody that insisted everybody stay in the habit. And we had people that insisted nobody stay in the habit. There were only, I think there were five or seven of us. But we came to that conclusion. Okay, then let's try to meet everybody's needs. And that was the beautiful thing of that order. Yeah. Uh, is we were open to all kinds of things. We, we were used to living with one another. At one point, I lived with 45 other adults, that many nuns. 
you know, then being able to accept people, see how good people are, even though they're different from you and being able to see how valuable they are to you because they are different. That kind of thing got me started. So that's why I wasn't wearing a habit. In fact, though, I did have, our convent was at the college, one of the dormitories. And at night, our phones went down to security. So a couple of my clients told me, I couldn't believe this, that if they would call at night or late in the day, and the security, if I was on the road, then security had me all day long. That's what it was. And they told me that security would say, oh, the flying nun isn't here right now. (laughs) (laughs) The flying nun? There she is. Oh, my gosh. That is funny. <laughs> so that that's how I got involved with that, because I would never have thought before yeah. I went to USC and, and went through all this. Yeah. I would never have thought I would have been doing the kind of work I've been doing. Yes. You know, I thought I would yes. have been an academician for the rest of my life yeah. and and helping people. You know, that was what yeah. I, I wanted to do. But yes, I was going to be grading their exams. <laughs> yes. And this way, I don't have to grade their exams. I can help them pass the course. <laughs> so it must have been, so you worked on your doctorate in communications. You're flying all over the country. That must have been when you ended up at the big food company at some point down in Georgia. Well, actually, as I said, the headquarters were in New York State, Buffalo, which is where our college was. And what's funny, Susie, is at the beginning, they didn't have much time for me. Because they're the largest family-owned food company right now in the world. But they were more involved nationally than we weren't far from their headquarters. But one time I made the news nationally with what I was doing for an organization. And all of a sudden I got a call from them. Ah, yeah. And And were you still a nun at that time? Oh, yeah. I was still a nun. Well, I was a nun for 27 years. And uh-huh. I had been doing this work almost 20 years. Oh, wow. So, yeah. no, no, not almost 20 years, probably 15 years. But anyway, so that's when they asked me to, to come and get involved with them. When I left the order, they offered me a job at headquarters. The, and somebody that really influenced me a lot was the owner of that company. And he took me to dinner when he heard I was leaving and he offered me a position as the director of HR to move up as vice president when the current one retired. And I told him, (laughs) I said, I really don't want to work for anybody full time. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, he's probably quite used to people saying that. What's so funny to me, too, is that you would end up working in these big organizations. And as you have said in different, an email recently that you sent to me, you were making a joke. You said, you know, I took a vow of poverty for 17 years or however many years. But, you know, even though I did, you were making a joke about what we're going to charge for the next conference or something. <laughs> Here you are now in an organization, you know, it's all about operational excellence, you know, but they were smart enough to know and see all this value about the people side of it. And you obviously are smart as can be. And anyway, that is so interesting. So you tell the owner, now I don't really, not sure I want to be full time. Is that what? Yeah. You know what? 
I'm surprised I even did that, that I had the courage to do that. But it just seemed so natural because yeah. he and I had such a wonderful relationship up to that point anyway. Yeah. And I had helped his family and I had helped his company. And he was very affirming of that. In fact, one year he had me go to Hawaii for their big international sales conference and gave me this beautiful buffalo, glass crystal buffalo, as a president's commemoration. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we had a good relationship. In yeah. fact, that night when we were at dinner, he told me, he said, oh, I'm so glad you're leaving. He said, you know, I grew up in the Irish section of Buffalo, and I'm Jewish. And he said... I couldn't understand the Catholic Church. He was just kidding. Yeah, yeah. But he said they all kept trying to baptize me. <laughs> <laughs> and he again, he was just kidding. But that's the yeah. kind of that's the kind of relationship we had. And so right. I, I I was not fearful telling him that. No, no, but no, no. Then what happened was I got a part-time job at the subsidiary that they had sent me down to they just bought it uh they sent me down to do the organizational transformation so i was flying back and forth anyway and so what happened was they hired me part-time down there and then helped set up my business which right. was wonderful you know because yeah. just leaving the convent i don't have a big savings account believe me <laughs> yes so that that was wonderful and so then i stayed on as an internal for just a few years and then continued to work with them as my business had kind of stabilized. And would you say when you said you had helped his family and his company, and I know there's a lot more than just the assessment. I mean, it's, it's, you know, interpretation, it's, you know, all the other skill sets that you bring around innovation and creativity and decision-making. And, but since we are talking a bit about Hartman, would you say that some of that impact, you know, how you helped him with his family and his company and the reason you had such a close connection was it related to some of the assessment work or talk a little bit more about that was it because the sales team got better or talk about well that, that was that group in the subsidiary you see yeah while i was a nun i had not yet found hartman ah that's right okay yep. i i didn't find hartman until, until i got after. down to that subsidiary okay and i wasn't there long when i found it I was still a nun when I first saw the other version of it, or not. Yeah. It wasn't another yeah. version. It was the same version of what you had to fill out in those yeah. days. Yeah. That was the thing there. But that's why when I found Hartman, because I was used to the challenges of building teams, of helping people get in touch with themselves. And it was hard at times. I tried not to do assessments with some people. Because I felt assessments were, as I said before, a little bit depressing for some people. Yeah. But when I found that the value profile wasn't, I was so pleased. I really was. Because people need affirming. And they need to be in touch with themselves and realize their uniqueness is valuable. So that's why by that time, 
I already knew where I could use it, how I could use it, not what it was. You know, I could never have done it myself, figured it out myself at that point. But I knew how I could use it because I had I had learned a lot <laughs> becoming yes. a consultant over So it was the actually the perfect order, you know. <laughs> so so how would you say Hartman's work has impacted your life? You've had an interesting life and you found Hartman's work after you left the convent. How has it impacted your life? Well, I think the big thing is that it helps me see the value of compassion. And this was something that I hadn't thought as much about. I didn't know why. And what's interesting is he was widely religious. You know, the fact that he had a father that was Jewish, a mother that was Lutheran, a stepmother that was Catholic, and he saw religion as important, but he didn't present it as something where you have to literally follow this and that this is the best and the others are not as good kind of thing. That Mm -hmm. was something that really impacted me when I got to know what he was actually thinking. And that also has helped me. In fact, that's what made me accept when somebody asked me if I would teach ethics in public administration. I don't think I would have if I had not by that time learned more about Hartman and about how ethics is much broader than what we think. Because growing up in the old days as a Catholic, rules were more important than anything else. In fact, the nuns I had in in grade school and high school, uh, that's the reason I didn't feel I could join them was they were more rule focused. And when I ran into the gray nuns, which is what I joined because they were my little sister's teachers when I was going to college. <laughs> that was so different. I didn't understand why for so many years, but as soon as I began to see Hartman, and especially Freedom to Live, where he talks about religion, and it's such a broad, beautiful sense of it, then that's something that really impacted me, I think. Hmm. It's a good thing because as in my teaching of ethics and public administration, which is a master's program at the local university, I've taught, I've had to teach a lot of Saudi Arabians as well as a lot of local government, city government and county government people. So I have no hesitation to have everybody read Freedom to Live. They have to read it. (laughs) And they love it. That's what I love. They love Freedom to Live. Yeah. What is it about that book? And Freedom to Live is the biography of Robert S. Hartman. What do they say? How does it touch them? Why do they love it? Well, because as he gives reflections on being in an organization and still maintaining your uniqueness, And then he talks about religion in a general sense and the value of religion and in his own history of how he saw not that you should die for Germany, but that you should live for Germany. They really like that. 
And they're just, they're intrigued by his biography and what he had to, as a little kid, the challenges that he had and how he thought through them. I'm always so glad when they tell me how they like it. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And it helps One. them because what what we are talking about in ethics these days is what they call postmodern ethics, which means that we're no longer fondue. Everybody doesn't think alike. Mm. Everybody in your pot isn't there because they are just like you. We're more salads, which means some of us are tomatoes, some of us are cucumbers, some of us are onions, <laughs> some of us are <laughs> I lettuce. I love that, yes. And leafy. We're not fondue, we're salads. Yep, and yet we're one. Yeah. And there's something that holds us together, and that dressing is whatever the spirit is that we share in common. And I think Hartman helps us see what that spirit is. Yeah in the value of people over things, over ideas of things. Mm, wonderful. So you've had a lot of people in your life who have, I would imagine, influenced you. Who would you say has had the most influence in your life and career? And talk a little bit about what they said or did that. Well, you know, so, so many people have influenced me, especially living with so many nuns. But I think... I've got to say, my mother had a tremendous influence. She had been a psychiatric nurse. And in oh. fact, during World War II, she worked at Valley Forge Army Hospital, which was not far from where I lived. And she would bring the soldiers who were in what those days we called it shell shock, not PTSD. But she'd mm -hmm. bring them Sundays for picnics at our place because we had a big lawn. And... That was her therapy for them. She had nine kids. <laughs> oh, we, wow. We, yeah. were, we were quite a family. And, yes. And she would often talk about it later over the years, how much we impacted those soldiers mm. and helped them feel good about themselves. And that was kind of the mother she was. But then she ended up being a writer. She wrote a lot of short stories. She was a newspaper woman. She had a weekly column in the local really? county That's newspaper. So cool. and, yes. and she was so caring. We would often have people come and have coffee with her. And I found out afterwards, when she would talk about this over the years, there was they were always somebody that was having problems. Oh, and she'd yeah. just sit there and talk to them. They had no idea she had been a psychiatric nurse, so I'm sure that wasn't why she was doing it. She just yeah. cared for everybody. She raved about the fact that she was able to say prayers every night for Gorbachev. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. And one of the things, she had to cover a horse show because we had a lot of horse ranches around us. And so this one, they were talking about having to shoot this horse because he broke his leg. And... She takes him in. All of a sudden, we have a horse. <laughs> so I, I think well, that was yeah. a big influence on me. Yes. Because it didn't you matter who of, people yes. were and what they thought. She was there for them without telling Buddy. It was just something people just gradually came to know. Yeah. 
Well, it's it's the uh, living out. So when you saw Hartman's work and he talks about people are are more important than things and and systems, you know, I before E before S, uh, you saw that and you were like, oh, yeah, I've seen that my whole life. Your life has been an yeah. example of that. Your mother and all the choices it sounds like you made as a result yeah, of that and, influence. And that was a big thing being a nun. I mean, yeah. that's another influence. That's why I say I can't say there's any one person that had yes. influence on me. But so many nuns I live with. Some were nurses, some worked with Catholic charities, some worked with the homeless, some worked with the State Department. <laughs> so, yeah, wow, yeah. In fact, I look at my boss for the last several years. She was president of our college for over 30 years, but she was a friend of mine. She entered a year after I did. And when she became president, what she did for that college was amazing. It yeah. was just bachelor's degrees. Now it's doctorate. They've got a pharmacology school. They've got a occupational therapy school. They've got all these things going on. And she retired a few years ago. And all of a sudden, the city pushed her to take the job of the Travel Authority Commission to lead that. <laughs> now, wow. to, to be with people like that, you know, they definitely, we would be influenced by people like that. And now she's yeah. head of the order at a time wow. when the order is shrinking, where most of them are in their late years and they're dealing now with a pandemic, you know, it's, it's, wow. but she's, she's an amazing person as so many of them are. And those of us who aren't familiar with that life, I mean, you're, it's all new to me. And the last thing that I would think is that you'd be working for, like for you, working for a food company or, you know, helping them run their business or, or for this uh, head of the order, you know, making this college grow beyond, you know, anyone's wildest dreams. It's like, how about that? You know, yeah. just I never, you have no concept of that. That's yeah. amazing. And at the same time, our college supported a high school in our buildings where they didn't have a lot of money, and yet the students were in a really nice environment now and things like that. She was just great and established yeah. a lot in the neighborhoods around the college. And, you know, some colleges kind of block out the neighborhoods so they can grow and grow, and right. she made sure that if they had to grow and if they had to do a new building somewhere, she would make sure that the neighborhood gained from it, which yeah. was, that's the thing that I just feel so good about when I think of what they do. Yeah. And it's, it is, it is, if I wanted to tie it back to Hartman's work, it's Hartman doesn't say that systems and things like the doing, like growing something or having a structure doesn't matter. It does matter. That's why it's measured in regard to how we think and that the part of decision making is having all dimensions involved. But he does say that example just exemplified that, okay, we were growing, you know, we were doing all the dimensions, but meanwhile, she was making sure that the people dimension was leading. Yeah. 
you know, because sometimes when we, when we have a high intrinsic, we think we, that's exact, that's all we should do. You know, that should be it. Mm -mm. And it's like, well, no, no, no. Cause we, we have the other options too. And that, and to me, every, your whole life story is that, you know, you are all about giving, but you also were able to function in a, in a systemic world, an extrinsic world very successfully, you know? So I think it's so awesome. Yeah. Well, and I did have some systemic strengths, but it was more unconventional. Oh, yeah. It was unconventional. And yeah. that, that's the beauty. And that I think I got from my mother was that creativity. Yes. She could do anything. But dealing creatively, I think, is so important to see other options, to realize, yes, I'm willing to go according to these expectations, but I will be open to the expectations changing. Yeah, And when yeah, I look yeah. at my life from a professor to a consultant <laughs> and then to training other consultants and then going back to education, I think that's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing. So I'm just, I'm just so grateful. And then to run into Jerry you know, we'll be married 10 years now. I had, I had no intentions of getting married. I loved being a free spirit because mm -hmm. I was a free spirit as none. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I dated a little bit when I got out and I thought, boy, that's the pits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that. Yeah. But when Jerry lost his wife and I met him at Rotary, when I transferred from Rotary in Georgia to here, he had been such a wonderful caregiver. Boy, did we admire him. His wife had Alzheimer's for six years, and he did not leave her except to come to Rotary, and he would drop her off at a senior concerns place for lunch that day and tell her that was her Rotary, but that was it. So when she, when she died, he had a hard time adjusting, being alone, and somebody else at Rotary said, you don't mind calling us up and saying, let's do this, do that. Why don't you get Jerry out of the house? So I did. And then we gradually, we realized, hey, we, you know, we get along pretty well. Mm. And we really do. And I, I'm so grateful for that, too. Because it shows life has got to change. You got to be open to change. Yeah. And, you know, all the twists and turns, you just never know what's right around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> and now you guys have spent, I mean, you've been together you're 10 years, but the coronavirus, you've really been together because you haven't been <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> out much for three months, right? Right. You've been sheltering in place. But it's not been bad because I'm used to working yeah. at home because yes. most of my work has been online, especially for overseas. And yeah. so, uh, that we're lucky that way. And yes. He's been in this house for about 50 years. And when he bought it, you know, it was just rough area. I mean, it was rough in terms of nothing but hills, but, and we still have hills. <laughs> yeah. So we have a great place just to sit out and look down the valley and see what's going on with the birds awesome. and the quail and <laughs> So that leads into our next question. Talk a little bit about what you do for your Wake Up Eager Days, mind, body, spirit. What are some of the things that you typically do in those areas? Well, yeah, nature is a big thing. Yeah. I, Go I sit really, out on your porch. <laughs> I really love nature. I grew up with woods and that yeah. kind of thing. And I love my birds. I do a lot of getting feed for the quail. and 
I've got other birds that come in. I'm not a bird birder. I don't I don't yeah. always know what they are, but I just love yeah. love Enjoy watching them. them. Yeah. And just being quiet and reflective. Thank God, having been a nun, every morning we did an hour of meditation. And then we went in for a half hour of prayer, and then we went in for an hour of mass. <laughs> I just am grateful for that because it's so easy just to draw back into myself. And I think that that is a big help. Do you do that much contemplation every day? Hour of meditation? No, prayer, no. I mass? What do you do, you think? What's kind well, of normal, I, typical? Whenever I get a chance. I just mm-hmm. stop and think and just get in touch. And now they've got a word for it. They call it mindfulness. It's just getting in touch with yourself and the value of the world. And and I still, my sense of God is not that God's out there, but in us, there is a spirit that's connected and it's in the world, it's in nature. It's everywhere. And if we would be open to that, we wouldn't be fearful. We wouldn't be resistant. We wouldn't be hateful. Those mm-hmm. kinds of things. That's that's a thought. Who knows? <laughs> mm-hmm. That yeah. that helps me. That helps me, though, just relax yes. about it. Yes. Because I've, yes, I've got way. a crazy schedule and yeah. I don't mind it. <laughs> You know, because I, I, I can kind of get in touch with myself and just relax. And having Jerry here helps, too, because yeah. even though we're politically a mixed marriage, we get along and we laugh about it. And yeah. every now and then we hear we maybe helped other people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said, I mean, the theme all the way through here is, you know, you appreciate differences and you value the differences, you know, with your nuns and the convent and with the team and accepting people, how good they are, seeing how valuable they are is some of your language. So there we go. It continues. Hey, you've been listening. Is that fair? I have been listening. (laughs) (laughs) What advice would you give your 25-year-old self? When you ask that, immediately I think of, I would say, take that darn art class. Because when I was 25, I had just made my first vows and was just finishing my bachelor's degree. And this is after five years of college. (laughs) Wow, yes. Because I had started college and quit after sophomore year and joined the convent. And then I had three years of education, an associate's degree, and now I'm trying to get my bachelor's in one year. So that's the year that they asked me to take the, they were trying to figure out what to have me take because I'd taken so many courses, I didn't need much. Yeah. And they signed me up for a radio broadcasting course. They signed me up for a theater course and they signed me up for a, an art course. And then when I saw all the paint and oils and everything else I had to get, I felt a little guilty that mm. the, the order would have to pay for all that. So I convinced them not to take that. So now, what advice would I give my 25-year-old? Take that darn course. That probably would have been good for you. <laughs> it would give <laughs> well, you, especially, it would give you what? What were you going to say? It would give you a little bit more appreciation for 
seeing the world in an artistic way and just thinking about it because artists have to really think about the world and think about what they're putting there and what the feelings are and what the meaning is and that kind of thing and, and just be grateful for what's ahead yeah that's what i would say don't worry about what it's going to do it you know if if it does create a problem for somebody they'll let you know don't try to figure them out ahead of time yeah yeah just be yeah, grateful you could also for what's say, coming watch the ride uh 25 <laughs> yeah. year old self because you're gonna have some interesting things happen that you're not you know yeah. at that point you, you had no concept you were gonna be a professor maybe maybe you did i don't know be a professor work in corporations travel all over the world <laughs> yeah. yeah well see that's the idea be grateful for what's ahead you know you don't know yeah. what it's going to be yeah yeah that's interesting. And so do you feel like you've been the president of the Hartman Institute since 2011? That's a, a long commitment, along with all your other commitments. Talk a little bit about that, and then we'll close with our last two questions. Well, I that was not a hard commitment. I, I was not looking for it. And they asked me if I would take the position of vice president because there was a possibility that then I would move up. But there was also another vice president as well. So there was no guarantee, you know, if that's something they thought would help for me to, to be the vice president, I would do it. And then I got elected as president, which was a surprise to me, but I didn't mind. I'd been president of several other organizations, so it didn't scare me. And I had been secretary for some time. And by that time, the Institute, it kind of moved slowly, but well, the board would meet for lunch after the conference every year. You know, that was their board meeting. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then gradually we began to see, okay, let's, let's get broader and broader. And so it's been a good experience for me because, and, and a lot of change there, you know, if I were to say, okay, what would I do at the beginning? What advice would I give is be ready for any changes. Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden we had to be different. People were passing away who had been there. The board didn't really change much. They just revoted themselves in every three years. And then if somebody did leave, then they would put somebody else in. And Jay Niblick and I, they had two openings that year. And they asked the two of us to consider joining the board. And that was 2004. But that was only because two people had left. Mm. And that's why it was such a big thing a few years ago when we said we really need to start doing tenure mm -hmm. so that we can keep the board going. Because these people had been involved for so many years that some of them were feeling the pressure as they got older. Mm -hmm really they were so delighted when we said okay let's if you're feeling that pressure you're part of the wisdom council <laughs> yes so that's what made that manageable and we weren't doing extensive work it was pretty much mostly around the knoxville area and gradually as people moved and then contacted other people like then Wayne brought me in and then David Medford had other people from 
different parts of the country and then that gradually they'd come in. So it was kind of just trying to get the place more and more open. Mm-hmm. And and we we were able to work together. That was the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was a little bit of storming for a while in regard to all the different uh, versions of the Hartman profile and, and where visions of where Hartman should go, you know, where the work should go, where should the Institute go. I would say it's uh, my current experience with the Hartman Institute is it's poised for the next iteration of kind of maybe collaboration, more collaboration and yeah. more yep. cross-pollination, hence this discussion and many, many like this. Because Hartman always said, you know, I, I just started this. You're going to grow it or it, it's got to be grown or, or evolved. And that's what we're continuing to do. And the Institute is yeah. growing and evolving too. It's exciting. But you have been the perfect voice, in my opinion, all the things that you've expressed today, in that you have a very strong view and history of Hartman. And at the same point, you're also able to listen and value others' viewpoints. You never push against people. You never force any decisions, but decisions get made. You're living what your mother demonstrated, people before things before you know systems so anyways you tell my mother i I just think yes she hears you she's with you all the time you're doing that (laughs) but i just think you've been great and i just appreciate all that you've done to be the glue with the institute and i'm just excited about where it is and uh, where it's going and where it's been i'm excited too Susie, because you've been amazing I just can't believe all the work you've done and how good you are as far as getting that social media area going. And, you know, we've had so much trouble losing people because they couldn't register. The website wasn't working right. And it was nobody's fault. When Jay was social media person, he offered to take it over through the system he knew. And then when Rick became, he was willing to do the same thing to help us out by saying, okay, I'll have my staff take care of it. But the transition didn't work right. And it was, it was a systematic thing for whatever the system was that each one had was different enough that you built it right from the bottom up. And that is so good. It's been amazing. And I hope people appreciate team it. effort, team effort. But thank you. It has been a team effort, and it's you know having the right system. You know, systemic things do matter. You got to have the right yeah, foundation, you or go. you're really troubled. <laughs> There's the see Robert Hartman's work is everywhere. If yeah. this you know structure isn't right, the doing isn't going to work. And if the doing doesn't right, the people don't get what they need. You know, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's exciting to me. It's just it feels like you know standing on the shoulders of everyone who's gone before, and there's such a a rich history, and there's so much value in Hartman's work. And it just, it gives uh, kind of an anchor to my work and and my place and where I want to be in the world, which is uh, similarly helping people see their good, helping people wake up eager, helping people find who they, who they are and, you know, live it, live it fully and happily. And just Hartman's a big piece of that. So we're all inspired by his work, you know, and it just, uh, I don't want it to go away or fade. Yeah. And that's why it's so important that we help get it more out there. 
Yeah. Um, and it'd be exciting to see the new book and different things from his work as we take what he did and then take what everybody else has done and bring it together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it reminds us to give credit to those people that went before us. Yes. Because, yes, there were times when the people that were just beginning to get their own systems were trying to make them primary or something. And But I think they did their best. They were trying to do what they thought needed to be done to use Hartman's work and get it out there. And gradually, I think they give us inspiration in their own exactly. way. In yes. their own way. Yes. Nothing went wrong there to me. It was it's all part of what we all go through and everything that we're creating. Yeah. You know? And every team that's coming together, quote unquote, you know, you have storming moments and forming moments when yeah. you move in and out of them and you yeah. know, it's exciting. So and last two questions. If you could have a billboard anywhere, uh, what would it be and what would it say? Or where would it be and what would it say? When you ask that question, the thing that comes to mind is a quote, to live is to change. And oh. to be perfect is to change often. And that's a quote from Cardinal Henry Newman, who the Newman Centers, which are the Catholic centers at universities across the country that are secular universities, they used to call them the Newman Centers because Newman was somebody that was, he looked beyond just the Catholic way of doing things. Mm. And to live is to change. To be perfect is to change often. And I think if, if we tie that into Hartman, then what we're doing is we're creating a perfectly compassionate world as we keep changing. Mm. Because we're using, as you say, we're using systems to keep doing the right things, to keep valuing people. And I think that's, that's one billboard I do. I like it. It sounds like there's another. Oh, I'm sure there are about eight. <laughs> 8,000. <000. laughs> we'll save that for our next conversation. <laughs> the way you said that, I was like, hmm, something's off the top of mind. I love the quote, no. though. I love that. No, it's but beautiful. that's the one I, because I really think, unless we're willing to keep changing, it's not going to work. Yeah, and that's something that you represent so well, too, and what I've seen in your leadership of the Institute is there's an innate knowing about that. There's no resistance to it. So when people bring up odd ideas or different ideas, you're like, well, let's think about that. You know, very receptive, you know, but you have a structure around it. You don't let it go on forever, but it's you, you live that in everything you do. That's awesome. Yeah, and you don't get my uh, pain in the stomach when I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't. You don't show it. You're like, okay, well, that's interesting. You never visibly push against, you yeah, know, I don't think that's and, my role. Right. No, it really, you, you're very um, allowing and open while still helping everybody move forward. And there's a, a loving presence in that that is really perfect. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> How about answer the next question? It's the last one, which is one last bit of advice or wisdom you want to share about our discussion about Hartman's work, the science of value, 
in anything we discussed today? What would you say to someone who's as we close out? I think, Susie, what I would say to them is, you know, you ought to think about something that Hartman talks about in Freedom to Live, which is know yourself, really get in touch with yourself, and then accept yourself, realize the value of your uniqueness, and then grow yourself. Keep changing, keep being open to change, keep growing, and then give yourself so that other people can have value from how you value yourself. And I think whether it's salespeople that have to really get to know where their strengths are and what they need, and then accept that, and then get do something about it, grow yourself and then give yourself keep the client the customer the environment in mind as you make whatever decisions and i would say definitely the same to leaders mm-hmm. be sure you know what your leadership power is and accept that and then grow it and if you see areas that aren't as effective then work with them And then give yourself so that you're leading for the sake of the others, not for the sake of yourself. Mm. But other than that, I don't know what to say. (laughs) I think it's perfect. (laughs) Leading for the sake of others. That's not yourself. There's so much good there. How could people get in touch with you, KT? What's the best way? Your website or some other avenue? My uh, email is on the website. They can do that, thinkingpattern.com. KT Connor at thinkingpattern.com. Thank you, KT. You've been awesome. Well, thank you. This has been great. So I hope you enjoyed my discussion with KT and can see the charm in her life and how it's evolved and how life continues to unfold. You never know what is around the corner and what good is coming. And I love the idea, many of the ideas, the closing thoughts about leading for the sake of others, not for the sake of yourself, are particularly poignant. So the show notes for today, you can get the transcript and everything about this episode, as well as KT's contact information. You can go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Hartman KT, Hartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N-K-T pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Hartman KT. We have our 44th annual conference this year, and this is 2020. And for the Hartman Institute, you'll find the information about that at hartmaninstitute.org. The theme for this year is Change 3. We're doing three sessions for three hours. We're meeting on September the 22nd, October 13th, and November the 10th. We're starting at 11 a.m. Eastern time and ending at 2 p.m., and it is on Zoom. We, like many associations, have had needed to change our program for this year, Um, but our theme is Change 3. 
we're talking about using good judgment, doing good things, letting love lead. And the three are the three dimensions that Hartman discovered, intrinsic, extrinsic, and systemic, things we talked about in our discussion today. Um, if you are interested in learning more about the conference, go to hartmaninstitute.org and you'll see the events tab. Go there. If you aren't sure if you'd want to join, but you go over to our website, you could also get on our newsletter list and you can just get updates about it so you can figure out whether you want to dial in. You'll learn a lot. You'll be inspired. There's such interesting people living very interesting lives. I've got more episodes uh, with Hartman influencers, but we have all ages, all backgrounds. We've got practitioners, consultants who use the work out in the world, and then we have academics. It's a beautiful commingling of um, interesting people and ideas and goodness. But you can sign up for our newsletter if you go to hartmaninstitute.org forward slash newsletter. I think that'll take you there. You'll see that and you can um, sign up for our newsletter and just get notices. We don't do very many newsletters. We've got interesting books coming out. Um, Cliff Hurst, who I have interviewed on this podcast, is producing a work, uh, The Revolution Against War. And it was a compilation of Hartman's work and with editorial information about his writings and you're going to be interested in that I believe and so you can find all of that at hartmaninstitute.org. If you would like to connect with me my main social media platform these days is LinkedIn so you can go to uh, Susie Price at LinkedIn also now have a priceless professional development page I'm trying to grow the following there and I'm posting kind of main head things there we also have a wake up workforce podcast page on LinkedIn so you can go and keep track of episodes on LinkedIn and you can also subscribe to our podcast at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash subscribe. We'll talk to you on the next episode. We're going to be talking to more axiology influencers. And I can't wait to see you, talk to you. If you have any insights or information to share with me or thoughts, send me a note at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie. Take care. We'll see you on the next go round. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 